Welcome to Words Matter with Katie Barlow and Joe Lockhart. Welcome to Words Matter. I'm Katie Barlow. Our goal is to promote objective reality. As a wise man once said, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, not their own facts. Words have power and words have consequences. Our guest today is an author, an activist, and an organizer. Amy Allison is founder and president of She the People, a national network elevating the voice and power of women of color. She brings together voters, organizers, and elected leaders in a movement grounded in values of love, justice, belonging, and democracy. In April 2019, she convened the first presidential forum for women of color, reaching a quarter of the American population. A democratic innovator and visionary, she leads national efforts to build inclusive, multiracial coalitions led by women of color. She leverages media, research, and analysis to increase voter engagement and advocate for racial, economic, and gender justice. Amy is a columnist for Newsweek and the author of the book, Army of None. Amy Allison, welcome to Words Matter. Thank you so much for having me. So we want to talk about She the People and all of your work in just a minute, but let's just kind of set the stage for this discussion, if you'll permit me. Last week was an historic week for so many reasons, but it was particularly so for Black women. And I think Abby Phillips summed it up pretty well on Friday morning, minutes after Joe Biden took the lead in Pennsylvania. And we have a recording of that. Let's listen. Can I just say, for Black women, this has been um, really a proving moment for their political strength in carrying Joe Biden to the Democratic nomination (laughs) through the primary. Mm -hmm. Black women did that. And I think... Seeing a black woman on the ticket with Joe Biden on the cusp of this moment, I think, is something that will go down in history because uh, this has never happened before. And not only would black women put Joe Biden in the White House, but they would also put a black woman in the White House as well. And that is the sort of historical poetry that I think we will live with for a long time, in addition to the fact that Donald Trump's political career began with the racist birther lie. It may very well end with a black woman in the White House. So, Amy, talk about, if you would, the political power of women of color and particularly black women and the historical poetry, as Abby Phillip put it, of their role in sending Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to the White House. Well, this is quite a moment. It's a moment for Black women. It's a moment for Asian American and Latinas, Indigenous women who showed up at the polls last week in record numbers. Our early vote was 69% higher than 2016, and we were the margin of victory. And we spent all last week looking at, listening uh, with bated breath, the vote counts in battleground states, those that Trump had won in 2016, not because there were more Trump supporters in those states, but because we hadn't tapped the voting power of the most loyal Democrats, the most progressive voters. And when incented properly, the highest turnout, 
Black women are head and shoulders above other voters in terms of voting turnout. But when you put Black, Asian American, and Latina voters together, that's a potent force. And we saw that uh, the really amazing organizing of women of color-led groups like like we saw in, in Georgia, New Georgia Project, which is Stacey Abrams' original conception led by a woman named Inse Ufat, or in Arizona, One Arizona, Monse Arenot, all of these amazing, amazing organizers were able to register historic numbers of new voters and get people to the polls in the middle of a pandemic. And so what we saw, what the nation saw, uh, and was you cannot ignore, was the political power of the vote of Black women and, and women of color. But we've always been a powerhouse Democratic Party vote, uh, had been taken for granted. The difference is we have a Black woman, an Asian American woman, heading into the White House. We had called early for her to be on the ticket. We knew that that would, you know, inspire higher turnout, and it did. She delivered, and we're ready to govern. So what a ride, what a what a coming of, you know, into the spotlight for the nation. It's really uh, Black women and women of color's time. Yeah, and a, a lot of what we're witnessing now was no surprise to you. And in, in fact, the day before the final day of voting on November 2nd, you wrote a column for Newsweek titled, Pennsylvania is Giving Us Hope. And you detailed some of the incredible voter turnout efforts in Pennsylvania. And I just want to read a little bit of what you said in that Newsweek article. So you wrote, women of color aren't just turning out in Pennsylvania. They're turning out across battleground states in numbers that dwarf those of 2016. In seven swing states, Arizona, Georgia, Florida, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Wisconsin, almost 4 million women of color have already voted, an 83% increase from the best time in 2016. And it's really important to note, this didn't happen overnight. In fact, your pinned tweet we noticed on Twitter is from November 2019, announcing your 2020 plan for women of color to lead this coalition across battleground states. And you also spent three years studying data and interviewing women of color, organizers and leaders. So take us through this national movement you created and how you were able to make it work. Because obviously, like I said, it it didn't just come just a few months before. This has been happening for a while. Listen, after 2016, we had to change uh, political culture. We had to change whose voice, whose vote, what leadership mattered, and who to turn to. I mean, Donald Trump broke the conventions of politics, but he also exposed the ugliness of white supremacy and the premacy of white voters, regardless of party, the tendency of political consultants and campaigns and parties to ignore the fastest growing, you know, group of, of people in this country, women of color. And to come to us the last minute, you know, not have inspiring candidates and kind of milk toast politics that don't address our issues. And so that was what was happening in 2016. Not only that, but hey, this politics is called words matter. In 2016, there was something called the women's vote that did not acknowledge race. Race, not gender, is the most important determinant of how people vote. We saw that evidenced last week where white voters are solidly behind Donald Trump and deepened and expanded their support when we look at places like Texas, Florida, and really nationally. And so women of color who had been invisible through every measure of politics 
my commitment to this country and frankly to women of color was to create a center of gravity for black, Latina, Asian American, Muslim, indigenous women that helps us to be seen and heard by the country in a new way. That means that data that we ran, I mean, we went around to a bunch of data firms and and we asked for data related to women of color exit polling. There hardly was none. <laughs> there was we had to create uh, hire our own data scientists and create a new area where we, we were studying women of color and really the, the cross tabs and the way to make us visible in politics. We started working with media reporters, bookers, editors said, look, the greatest influence and impact on whether the Democrats win the White House is in this group of voters, women of color. And we have to first and foremost say, these are not minorities. In the states that matter this year, in the seven states that I wrote about in this Newsweek column, and and including Georgia and Arizona, women of color are the majority of women. And that if we understand that basic fact, both how likely they are to be Democrats, their potential high turnout, the numbers of vote eligible, and the fact that one of every four voters that's potent, coupled with the fact that women of color are running the most effective voter registration and engagement programs, hands down. They know how to win. They know how to build multiracial coalitions that can can include everyone. So those were the elements that we brought together for events. We highlighted in the news. We wrote about, we did polls in the, the first majority people of color state, Nevada, we, we polled women of color and said, what do you want? We did listening sessions and said, uh, what do you need to ensure high voter turnout? We heard loud and clear that it was a woman of color at the top of the ticket and addressing the issues of health care in the COVID crisis, unemployment, and the rise of white supremacy and racism. All of those things are very important to women of color. And we built a national network, particularly grounded in battleground states, which is the South and Southwest. And we, we created a voice, a national voice for women of color. And we made the commitment a year ago. It was bold. It's bold to say, Hey, every road to the White House for Democrats leads straight through women of color. You will not win without our enthusiastic support. And what we saw last week was that was true. It was a hundred percent true. So it's one thing to have this vision of a politics we have not yet seen. It's a whole nother thing to to say strategically, we're going to do the largest coordinated women of color turnout campaign. We committed last year to to reach a million women of color. We reached 1.7 in those states. Higher turnout, we delivered. 170 votes, (laughs) electoral college votes. And now the Democrats have the White House and we still have a chance for for the Senate. So I am both wanting people to learn the right lessons. We built this movement to help the country move into a new era, to get beyond the things that, the forces that allowed Trump to rise, to break our system, to encourage white supremacy. We, we want the lesson to be learned. The one that I learned after 2016, I want the rest of the country to embrace the approach that women of color have innovated and follow us <laughs> as we continue to 
expand our multiracial democracy. So you've talked just there about a lot of the work and the fruits of your labor, but let's talk about She the People and the name and the organization. And for our listeners, if you could just tell them a little bit about the organization and getting it started and what you do. So She the People, I thought, hey, I'm so clever with that name, She the People. It's like- It is a clever name. Yeah, it's like clever. Um, Because the, the foundation of the American ideal- and identity is our democracy. Hey, it's a free country. We're all raised to say that. We have our vote, and the Constitution begins with the phrase, we the people. But women are the majority of, of people in this country, and women of color are driving the, the pro-democracy values right now. And particularly in the last four years, it was clear that we were. And I, I think for, for me, the, the name She the People encapsulated a deep belief in democracy, the vote. But also, this isn't really about, She the People's not really about political party. It's bigger than that. It's about creating space in our culture for the leadership um, and the value of, of women of color, for us to live lives of dignity and to have a government that serves us. And so I, I create, I started with a, as a book, actually. I was like, I'm going to write the first book on women of color in politics. Cause if you can believe it, there hadn't been one. There's still not one. And I interviewed dozens and dozens of organizers and leaders, including Stacey Abrams, you know, before she was famous. She's, she was one of my favorite, most brilliant women that I knew is, that was a leader in the Georgia State House, but. There's a lot of Stacey Abrams in this country. And I was writing, but I'm not a fast writer. It was taken forever. And meanwhile, while I was in the midst of this, my publisher, it was a small publishing house, went out of business and Trump won all in the same three-month period. And the universe was, you know, calling for me to use my, you know, the, the view that I had and deep belief that the future was really in the hands of women of color, that to call for the first political, I, I basically said, hey, I'm going to, I wasn't, didn't start an organization. I just said, hey, I'm going to make She the People is our first national political conference focused on women of color. And we did it in San Francisco. We had women from 38 states that came. And uh, we had, you know, everyone from uh, Dolores Huerta and, you know, Pramila Jarapol, a congresswoman from Seattle, as well as up and coming, uh, yet to be elected leaders like Rashida Tlaib. And we had a combination of uh, leaders and organizers in this beautiful space in which we said, make sure to create this loving space where we see ourselves reflected in each other. And it was a great success. Then a couple weeks after the summit, I went to this, uh, it was a global women's leadership uh, retreat. It was the beginning of a year-long commitment that I had with a cohort of 20 women. And they were from uh, Africa and Central America and the Middle East and here. And in the context of that training, they had said, okay, we want you each as part of your own leadership and, and impact to come up with a goal so grand, so expansive that just what is your stretch goal? And I was like, okay. I thought about it for a long time. And then I said, I'm going to organize the first presidential forum for women of color. 
and it had never been done. A presidential forum focused on women of color had never been done. And I did it in Houston, in Harris County, a place where organizers had been steadily, remember that picture of the 19 black judges that were elected in Harris County? This is a, a place where you take a state that traditionally had been understood as red, and yet it's majority people of color and women of color were changing the state. And we held the forum at an HBCU, Texas Southern, the birthplace of the term women of color was in Houston in 1977. The the great congresswoman, Barbara Jordan, comes from Houston. So past, present, and future, we had 2,000 women of color and eight presidential candidates. And for the first time in history, I was able to be on stage and ask them, why should women of color support you? We were able to have organizers come on stage and ask about Black maternal health and missing and murdered Indigenous women and the fact that people in the service industry like uh, servers in Louisiana make $2.15 an hour and are subject to sexual harassment because they're dependent on tips. There's so many issues that we were able to bring into the national dialogue because of that forum. And the forum went viral and we have not stopped since. And so she, the people, became an organization, then became a movement. And we didn't benefit from trying to hide our shine or, you know, <laughs> we just are bold and declarative about how important and critical women of color are in our politics and leadership in this moment, uh, up until this moment. <laughs> so it's still evolving. There's so much heart in this organization. And you said, like, the universe calls you. I mean, I think that you you feel that. You feel that as we hear you speak and as we see the movement grow. So that's very apparent. I think a lot of times in politics, the kindness factor gets lost, having lived in D.C. a very long time and Katie's in D.C. now. So we do we do feel that from you. And I think that was a big part of this, this that and true grit and making it happen. So kudos to to you all. I will, I will just say, I was in the military when I was joined uh, as a high school student, and I was in the military in college and started having misgivings about what my role would be, my relationship to violence, just all of that, my, what it was like to be a Black woman in the military, and I was really struggling with this. And my resident fellow in my dorm just gave me a book called Heart Politics by this woman, Fran Peavy, and Fran wrote this book about how politics doesn't have to be power over. And she introduced me at a young age to this idea that we could have love, love for our own and others, and a common sense of a commitment to justice, and that that could ground our politics. And I never forgot that. And the thing about working with women of color is that uh, I have, ex- you know, even in a political context, in rooms where people hold hands and they say, I'm here because of love. Even till two weeks ago, I did an Instagram live with this amazing new congresswoman. She just was elected from the state of New Mexico. Her name is Teresa Ledger Fernandez. And um, congresswoman elect, she said she ran for office to protect the things we love. And I, that is what we need in this country. And so you're right. We can redefine 
what politics looks and feels like, what its purpose is. And we can come together and create ways for people to live lives of dignity. I mean, in the end, that's, that's why I'm doing this work and what gives my own life meaning. So a huge part of, of doing the work is taking a moment to bask in the fruits of your labor and, and enjoy this moment, which certainly I hope that you do. But then you start to look at what comes next and looking at the lay of the land at the moment, what comes next looks like a battle over the Senate in Georgia. And we had Leader Abrams on um, earlier this year, and, and I have many questions to ask you about her, but I know we have limited time, so I won't ask them any questions about the brilliant things that she said when she was on. But right now, we're about nine weeks out from what will be a double runoff for two seats that will very likely determine who has power in the United States Senate, which means judicial confirmations and executive appointments and a John Lewis Voting Rights Act and any piece of legislation that will need to go through Congress. So what will you and she, the vote, be doing between now and then? And you also mentioned, I'm from Georgia, so I certainly have a bias of headlines and people. So I know there are many leader Abrams across the country. And you've, you've mentioned several of them, but our listeners are very good at following up with our guests and with the things that they learn. So give them people, you know, they will look themselves, but who, who can we also look to in other parts of the country as, as we head into these next nine weeks? First of all, I want to say the Stacey Abrams vision 10 years ago and flipping, it was a monumental feat to do that. And Democrats had lost again and again and again until we see, uh, so she knows the playbook. When I hear Nancy Pelosi, who, you know, I'm sitting here in Oakland, California, <laughs> you know, she's local. When I hear her admonishing, particularly women of color around issues that are being embraced in response to protests this summer and things like that is, I want to warn uh, Democrats not to do that, that what they should do right now is to say Stacey Abrams, Inse Ufat, Mijente, uh, Asian Americans Advancing Justice, all the groups that are active and know how to win, who just delivered the win, need to tell us what to do in Georgia. And I say that, you know, we sent about a thousand volunteers through our network to work with partner organizations, people who want to work in Georgia, and I think people should, can sign up to volunteer through She the People. And we will make sure that the volunteers go to women of color-led effective organizing uh, that will get us close. I believe we can win two Senate seats. And the most delicious thing, possibility is, uh, following women of color who just demonstrated they could flip the state, they can win the state, turning out our voters, and evening the score in the Senate, the tiebreaker, our VP-elect Kamala Harris. That's the possibility that women of color have created for the whole country. So I, I'm excited about that. I'm here for it, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight in the next nine weeks. Uh, to make sure that we win those two seats. And just real quick, I know we're 
limited on time, but in terms of just the Democrats and bridging the divide that exists, how do we, I mean, a, a lot of what you said today to us is just listening and kind of redefining politics. So how do you see that bridge really, you know, coming back and being rebuilt so that there is a message and a place for everyone to have a voice? When you say divide, what do you mean? Uh, you know, when you you were talking about Pelosi, but also if we look at Clyburn and AOC, there there exists this big divide between Democrats on how to move forward. So you said, let's go to Georgia, let's listen to Leader Abrams, right? How do we get everyone on the same page almost? How do we get them together? Because there is even a divide within the party of how this is supposed to work. I'm not going to hedge here. Women of color are the future of the party. And there are people who are there who are part of the past. And we've been losing and losing and losing elections by not advancing the interests of people who are half the party. People of color are half of the party. And women of color are one of four members of the Democratic Party. I mean, every member of the squad, AOC, Rashida, Ilhan, Ayana, Deb, are going back to office. And the squad is stronger uh, with Cori Bush, Teresa Fernandez, and others, where uh, we need to build power within the context of the party. And that's where we're fighting. I'm, I'm going to push back on the moderate Democrats. We can't go to the center. That isn't where the winds are. Not in the middle of a pandemic, record unemployment. The Democrats have to give people something to be for. And the Democrats need to center themselves on the power and the, the voting and the energy that women of color are bringing uh, to the party right now. So. It's almost like I'm, I'm the, the, the question about bringing everyone together, they need to get on board with us. We just showed that with our organizing, we could flip Arizona and flip Georgia. That wasn't the party leading that. That was women of color on the ground. So get on board and follow women of color. We know how to win. And it's, it's going to mean a change in the Democratic Party. It may ultimately mean changes in leadership, changes in, but we have been able to move to a place where issues like $15 an hour minimum wage, which was first championed by a woman of color on the Seattle City Council. It was called Way Left Socialist. And now it's mainstream. We are moving the party to where American people, the Democrats, want to see it. And that's where we should continue to go. All right. Well, I know we have limited time with you, and we're so grateful for what you have been able to generously give us. Amy Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> and I will say, as we're heading into the holidays, people can pick up a copy of Army of None as a holiday gift to read over the uh, the nine weeks until the uh, Georgia battle, which is coming up quickly, just around the corner, really. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Words Matter. Please rate and review Words Matter at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. 